Hello, this is Josh, and welcome to the Get Your Goat podcast. I am back on this Friday. It's nice to be here wrapping up the long week, talking about sports with you all. A lot to get into since our last podcast was Monday. A lot has happened since then. I'm going to cover most of it and also what's coming down this weekend. I'm looking forward to it. We got ton to talk about. So much content, NFL, NBA, NHL, college hoops, movie reviews, shows, get your goat take. Ooh, I am looking forward to discussing this all. Starting right now, that opens us with every discussion, is the NFL. And big news yesterday in the NFL was the Philadelphia Eagles trading quarterback Carson Wentz to the Indianapolis Colts for a 2021 third-round pick in this year's draft and a conditional 2022 second-round pick next year. Now, that second-round pick can turn into a first-round pick if Carson Wentz plays 75% of the offensive snaps. So this is not, to me, this was not a huge, huge blockbuster deal like the one that happened a few weeks ago with Matthew Stafford and the Los Angeles Rams. I say that because there was multiple first-round picks involved, a swap of quarterbacks. That was a huge shakeup for both franchises. That was a huge blockbuster. Uh, This is not the case. This was not the case as reports that the Colts were not budging on their offer. They didn't explicitly come out with a protected first-round pick. This was a conditional second that can turn into a first. So a good return for both. But ultimately, who wins this trade? My gut reaction is that the Eagles won this trade. They get a fresh start. No more Doug Peterson, no more Carson Wentz, uh, everything from that 2017 team uh, that made it to the Super Bowl and won it is now gone. Uh, You look at that team and it is so different from the team that won the Super Bowl. Uh, Jim Schwartz is gone as defensive coordinator as well. It is just a severely different makeup and different team. A little surprising to me that the Eagles did this deal since it seemed like it was either, you know, you choose Doug Peterson or Carson Wentz and the general manager chose both, both of them are out the door. So they get the fresh start. Yes, they do have to carry around $33 million in dead money this coming year. So that's big. But then after that, you're free. You got rid of him. You don't have to worry about Carson Wentz anymore. Don't have to hear his name uh, pop up other than memes or any, at least anything meaningful. You won't have to hear about him. And you get solid picks. This is a very deep draft class, so you're going to get a good player with a third-round pick if you pick well, if he pans out well. And to me, you most likely get the first... Uh, you most likely get a first-round pick next year. I believe Carson Wentz is going to play at least 75% of the offensive snaps. I think that would only miss four games. I think he'll be around for three-quarters of a season. 
I think he can do that. Uh, is it possible that he doesn't? Yes, very possible. But I think he will. I think that pick will turn into a first. And I think you also, your own first-round pick next year will be high. This year you have a six, and I could see them picking around the same this year. And to me, this draft is huge for them right now. They have the sixth pick in the draft, their own pick. What are they going to do? I believe you get a stud wide receiver this year, a la Jamar Chase from LSU or Devontae Smith from the Philadelphia Eagles. You get a star. You've busted on receivers in the past, you know, drafting J.J. Arcega-Whiteside over D.K. Metcalf and not having true wide receivers uh, to throw to. And if you get a good wide receiver in one of those guys, then you can analyze Jalen Hurts. It was a high pick last year, a second-round pick. Then you can decide, hey, we're analyzing him. If he balls out, if he's good, you guys are good, the team's good, no sweat. Sweet, you guys did this. If not... You know, you'll most likely have your own high first-round pick next year if it doesn't turn out, and you could draft a quarterback then. Yes, there's a lot of emphasis on drafting a quarterback right now, but if you don't like any of the prospects, guess what? You don't have to drop them. You don't have to draft them. You don't have to let the media convince you that, hey, the Eagles traded Carson Wentz. Now you need a quarterback. Hey, Trevor Lawrence will be gone. Zach Wilson might be gone. Oh, but Justin Fields, he'll be there at six. You better pick him. No, if you don't feel comfortable with that pick, you don't have to pick him. And that's the thing, too, is that sometimes players get passed on, and they do well, and you shoot yourself in the foot. Team, the fans, media are all upset. Like, hey, why did you do this? What kind of move was that? And you look back and you say, hey, but then you also have to say, hey, is that the system that's making him good? Or is it just really the player? Because for 20 years, we talked about Tom Brady being a system quarterback before he finally won with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and got the system quarterback thing off everybody's brain. Did everybody believe he was a system quarterback? No, no, they didn't. But there was quite a few that did. So if you believe Tom Brady is a system quarterback, is Patrick Mahomes a system quarterback with the weapons of Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, McCole Hardman, is uh, Derrick Henry a system running back with the running schemes they run with their offensive linemen, with the play action? Is he a system running back? You see, to me, you can just throw that argument out the window. To me, it's a player. It's not the system. Get that out of your brain. The player's going to play and perform the best of his ability, no matter what, unless he's frustrated with the organization. He's going to try to ball out. He wants to get paid. He wants a ring. He wants respect. There's a common theme here. And plus, the Eagles are in a terrible division. They're in the NFC East with the Cowboys, 
with the football team. With the Giants. They're all bad. The winner last year was at 7-9. and nine. So the Eagles could potentially make it with all these bad teams. If they go 7-9, and nine, they could make it next year. 8-8. Eight and eight, Maybe 6-10. and 5-11-1. You never know. You just don't know. Because this division is so bad. And I don't see any of them turning it around next year and going 11-5 and five or 12-4. and four. I don't. So the winner of his team could have a losing record again. So that's why it's important to see Jalen Hurts' development. Because then you could draft, you could trade him next year if you really don't like him. Get a quarterback. Really have a fresh start. If you don't like the prospects, and maybe you don't even, if wide receivers get picked, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith beforehand... You can trade the number six pick and get more draft capital. So there's a lot the Eagles can do. There's a lot of flexibility. There's just a lot of situations that can pan out for the Eagles, which is why I think they won this trade, because they have more options. And having more options, at least to me in the NFL, is always a better thing than having a few options. So since they have more options, more possibilities, more chances to win, I like the Eagles winning this trade. Yes, the Colts did good with this trade. They didn't really give up much for wins. A third-round pick and a first-round pick and a second-round pick. That could be a first, you could argue. Hey, they didn't give up much for wins. Hey, we have this defense. That's great. Amazing defense. We expect to be in the playoff contention in the next few years with this defense. They're really good. And I agree, this defense from top to bottom is really good. Guess what? To me, or I won't say to me, but to a lot of people, uh, this team made the made the playoffs. Uh, just missed out on beating the Bills, upsetting them. And our quarterback was Philip Rivers, so we're gonna get. He retired, so we need a quarterback. It was a need, so we get Carson Wentz. Didn't give up much for him. We replaced that need. But is he really replacing that need or is he going to create a bigger problem now? And why do I say that? Why? Because I think at least they're expecting a better Carson Wentz than they got last year. Yes, they got a terrible or Carson Wentz was terrible last year. He was, uh, you know, like a 40-something QBR throwing, you know, 15 interceptions, being injured all the time. He was injury-prone now ever since that big injury in 2017 where he was looking like he was going to be the league MVP, throwing for 33 touchdown passes, and had a great QBR around 79. But now he's not good. He has this huge contract. More than Phillip Rivers uh, had to pay, so it's insane. Uh, you're expecting him to be the same level as Phillip Rivers, and to me, Phillip Rivers is better than Carson Wentz. Uh, if he doesn't pan out, Carson Wentz, this contract will impact their playoff contender status. Uh, I think Dan Orslowski, uh on ESPN said yesterday, that this trade makes the Colts Super Bowl contenders. Not playoff contenders, but Super Bowl contenders. And to me, there's only one 
Super Bowl contender in the AFC. You have the Chiefs, and then you have the field. And I will take the Chiefs over anybody in the AFC, even the Colts. The Colts with Carson Wentz as their quarterback. What trust has Carson Wentz instilled in anybody in the last two to three years? Not much, but he can throw interceptions, that he runs for his life, makes terrible decisions, uh, fumbles the football. I mean, he's just, he's not the same guy anymore. His uh, psyche is fractured. Yes, he is reuniting with his old offensive coordinator, his assistant, Frank Reich, who jolted him to this MVP level quarterback. So there's a lot of hope there for that. And I hope nothing best for the Colts and Carson Wentz and Frank Wright. I do. I hope they're well. But I do not foresee that happening. But Carson Wentz on this decline, this regression, even with Frank Wright, I don't think can be fixed. Especially, uh, they're not, they don't have great wide receiver talent around them. Yes, they have a good, okay wide receiver talent, T.Y. Hilton, but they don't have stud wide receivers. They don't have the Kyler Murray, DeAndre Hopkins connection, or the Josh Allen, Stephon Diggs, or the Patrick Mahomes, Kelsey slash Hill combo. They don't. He doesn't have that. Yes, he has a good offensive line. He'll be protected. I don't expect him to be sacked as much this year as he was last year. But he's gone, along with Jared Goff, who was drafted right before him. And now you have Dak Prescott as the only remaining quarterback from that draft, still with the team that they're originally going to be on. Uh, So good for him. Who knows, he could be next. But that's huge. And to me, the Titans are still better than the Colts in their division in the AFC South. But to me, also the Chiefs are better. The Bills are better. The Titans are better. The Ravens are better. The Browns are better. The Steelers are better. And the Dolphins are better. Why do I say those teams are all better than the Colts? When some people are saying they're playoff ready, they're Super Bowl contenders, why do I say that? Who is the Chiefs quarterback? It's Patrick Mahomes. Who's the Bills quarterback? Oh, it's Josh Allen, the one who just had an MVP caliber season, who's playing out of his mind with Stephon Diggs. Who's the Titans quarterback? Ryan Tannehill, who is no scrub coming off back-to-back career years, playing great. Has weapons like A.J. Brown, Corey Davis, Derrick Henry on his team. All right. They have a quarterback. Browns have a quarterback. Baker Mayfield rebounded and played great. People were doubting him. But last year he showed up, balled out, making it to the playoffs in the divisional round and lost to the Chiefs. Steelers are steady at quarterback with uh, Ben Roethlisberger for now. Uh, I think he'll have the same Philip Rivers situation next year, maybe retire, but this year he'll be back. The Dolphins have Tua Tagovailoa and Fitzmagic. So these teams all have a better quarterback on the team who's played better the last year, more consistent, and that's huge. They have the chemistry. 
That's why I do not see the, t- or the Colts making the playoffs this coming year. That's why I see the Eagles winning this trade because they have more options. And the Colts will be stuck with this huge contract. And guess what? If Wentz doesn't pan out with the Colts, you're not trading Wentz with that contract you ain't. And if you do, it won't be for a conditional second round pick and a third round pick to recompensate. You'll be dropping down into the fifth round or sixth round pick is what you'll be receiving for that contract or you'll have to cut them. Either way, it could turn out bad for the Colts if he doesn't pan out the way they want him to. I hope he does. I hope everything works out for everybody. I do. But I don't see that playing out. In five years, I see the Eagles being way better than the Colts. That's my prediction. That's the NFL for today. Moving on. To the NBA, the Los Angeles Lakers last night lost to the Brooklyn Nets by 11 points, 109-98. to What was billed is this finals preview, the great LA team, the great Brooklyn team uh, did not live up to the hype, namely because two of the top stars were not playing uh, for one for each respective team, Anthony Davis for the Lakers was out and will continue to be out, and Kevin Durant was out. So that was huge star potential off the court, and the Lakers lose still. Uh, couldn't handle the Nets by himself. LeBron does what he does, dropping 32 points, adding 8 rebounds, and 7 assists. He's just so efficient. That is what he does. He gets his points. He gives the ball to other people to score. He's a great ball distributor, rebounder. He is the do-it-all player. And yesterday, he could not do it all. But to me, the Nets didn't really look severely better. But before I move on to them and the combination of stats... Two people, I cannot let off the hook. For the Lakers, if LeBron is doing what he does, is Wesley Wesley Matthews and Markeith Morris. Together, those two players combined for two points on 34 minutes. Two points! Just two! Two players combining for two points on 34 minutes. What is that? What is that? That's not right. I can do better than that, and I'm one player. Markeith Morris in 10 minutes didn't score any points. None. He's running around. Wesley Matthews, two points in 24 minutes. He's just running around. I can run around. I can run around and pass and, you know, look good. That's why I can do that. A lot of people can do that. I cannot let those two guys... Off the hook. If LeBron is giving it night in, night out. You know, Kyle Kuzma trying to step it up a little. Other players trying to step it up. The least you can do is try your best to step it up. Especially you, Wesley. You're a starter on this team. Get it together. It's pathetic. 
But then, as I said, the Nets didn't look great, especially Kyrie. Looks like he was still hampered by injury. He couldn't make a three-point shot to save his life. And to me, everything was similar. The Nets are actually worse free-throw shooting than the Lakers were. Everybody wants to talk about that. But to me, everything was comparable. Shooting percentage, field goal percentage. The only thing, which I said last time I talked about the Lakers... Is there three-point shooting? Again, last night in a loss, 26%. That's terrible. You're not going to win when the opponents shoot 46% and you shoot 26%. That's bad. Like, really bad. We cannot have this, Lakers. We demand better. And LeBron, I don't mean you. I don't mean you. I mean everybody else. When Joe Harris from the Nets... Had himself a great night shooting. Six of seven from three. 18 points alone on threes. I think he had 21 total points. KCP, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. I need you to do that. I need you to step it up from three. Please. Please. I mean, Harden was good. He didn't look out of this world. It wasn't the crazy 50, 60-point nights. It was only like 23 points. Uh... So the Lakers have to shore up more consistent three-point shooting. I don't want to see a 46% game and a 26%. Guess what? I'll take a 36% every night. And guess what? You'll win more games. You will, or you'll be closer. You'll be given chances more. Please, step it up on the three-point percentage effort. Please. And they lose again. But I cannot wait for this matchup again with a healthy KD and 80. That will be great. So right now, I'm 2-0 in my Lakers prediction without AD. The Lakers without AD are 1-1. One and, one. and so far, I'm right. Winning against the Timberwolves. Losing against the Nets. Now let's backtrack a night to Wednesday night. When the Jazz beat the Clippers, I just need to remind myself because the Lakers lost to a good team. Hey, the Clippers lost to the best team. Yes, they were shorthanded. No Paul George. No Kawhi Leonard. But they got beat. And to me, Jazz are clearly the best team in the West. Beating the Lakers. Beating the Clippers. I think even with Kawhi and Paul George, they still would have beat them. This team defensively is really good and really scary. Now the Lakers have to be careful. I am a Lakers fan. So on this show, I will talk more about the Lakers in basketball than any other team because they're the Lakers and they have LeBron James. Lakers have to be careful. Now why is that? Dropping yet another game. We have to be careful because right now the regular season's almost halfway over. We're almost wrapping up the first half, and they are the number two seed, number two in the West, and the Clippers are number three. Do you see where I'm getting at here? If you do good, if you don't, I'll tell you this. The Lakers do not want to face the Clippers in the Western semifinals. 
They do not want that. They want the Clippers to face two teams, have the two matchups in the quarterfinals, the semifinals, before they would potentially face them in the Eastern Conference Finals. As a Lakers fan, that's what you want. You want another team to give the Clippers all you can handle for two seven-game series before you play them a seven-game series. That is what you want. You want a tired-out Clippers team. You don't want to play them in the semifinals. You don't. I mean, you could before with Doc Rivers, but Doc Rivers is gone now. He's gone. So the Lakers have to have a huge effort to make it to number one since now they're two and a half games back. They don't have uh, AD, so that's going to plague him for the next month. Now he's out four weeks instead of a previous two to three. That's huge to try to make up that ground already two and a half games back. Without him, that's going to be huge ground to make up. Or maybe you purposely drop to the four and see if you would rather play the Jazz and the Clippers with a healthy AD. All these scenarios can come to mind. But to me, the best shot would be to try to get the one seed. Then you have potential, you know, Clippers could be playing, you know, Golden State or the Nuggets in the first round, and then in the second round semifinals, then they could play the Jazz. And it's just a way easier easier pass for the Lakers, easier playing the two teams I mentioned before, and then, you know, playing like Portland or Phoenix. I mean, that's huge. Even if they're before they play Phoenix, and then you'd have to play the Jazz next uh, if they're that. But to avoid the Clippers in the semifinals, I think would be huge. I really do. Uh, I do not want that. I would try as hard as I could to get the one. I know that's not LeBron's motivation is to get the one seed. Uh, But it's huge. It is especially in the Western Conference. It's stacked and to me better than the East. Uh, It just is. Now, moving on to college hoops. Yesterday, my team, Michigan Wolverines, beat Rutgers, the Scarlet Knights, 71-64. to They looked good. They were controlling it. Uh, the second uh, half, they really were controlling the pace before they kind of let Rutgers come back a little bit. But they played well defensively. They're really good. Franz Wagner stepped up, played well, especially with Livers not playing as we're accustomed to seeing him play. Franz Wagner, you know, put in 20 points. Uh, He looked good. He looked efficient. Hunter Dickinson on the boards. This team looked great. So I'm happy they won. Happy they won. Now, Houston Cougars were upset last night by Wichita State Shockers. But then everything else went according to plan for the top 25 teams. Penn State losing to Ohio State, and the rest, you know, all the top 25 teams won other than that upset. So it was good. It was a routine night in the college basketball world. Now on to my predictions. I don't know how I feel about these predictions I'm about to make. Why? The last prediction, I picked Virginia to beat Florida State, and Florida State ended up crushing Virginia. It was 
Oh, man, it was, that was a bad pick. I was on the fence, but I came out with this confident Virginia pick. And I don't know why I did that. Uh, and there's a lot of college hoops on this weekend, so I can't get into every uh, prediction of every game because there's just so much college basketball on this weekend. If you are a college basketball enthusiast, all you will be doing from 10 a.m. to 10 at night is watching college basketball. But I am going to pick three games, two tomorrow, and one on Sunday. The first one is Texas Tech versus Kansas. Now this is an interesting matchup because Kansas has looked really good the last few games. You know, they were just out of the top 25 uh, for the first time in forever. But now they are back and looking better after their loss to West Virginia. They have put together the last couple weeks have looked really strong for them. And Texas Tech has kind of, you know, teetered both their losses. They've come to West Virginia, who's a great team, but they've just played closer games than Kansas. So because of that, Kansas at home, Kansas reeling, playing well, I'm picking Kansas. I'm picking the Jayhawks. This is definitely not the pick I wanted. I want to pick Texas Tech. I'm rooting for Texas Tech because if you know me, you know, I don't like Kansas Jayhawks and Bill Self. I just don't. But I am picking them for the benefit of being right. So please, Bill Self, please at least win this one for me. Uh, if you don't, I might as well just never pick you again, just out of spite. Then, another huge game for Big 12 basketball. West Virginia Burst Texas. West Virginia has been playing really good lately, other than their heartbreaking double overtime loss to Oklahoma in a thrilling game. That was great. But they beat in good teams like Kansas and Texas Tech, uh, while Kansas or well Texas has really been off lately, lost three out of their last five. Uh, most of those have been close. But their wins have been close to Kansas State, to TCU. Uh, you know, Texas was, you know, a few weeks ago ranked like number four or five. They were playing well, but now they're not. With West Virginia playing better lately, and if, you know, Texas just had like one or two, uh, but with them not even winning good, I have to pick West Virginia. They're the better team to me. I expect West Virginia to come out and play well. Now... For the college basketball matchup of the year so far, what should have been one Gonzaga and two Baylor so long ago, which wasn't, we get a huge showdown of Michigan and Ohio State on Sunday. Michigan coming in at number three, Ohio State at number four. Both of them right now are have a number one seed on Bracketology. This is huge. This is a big game in Ohio State for Michigan. But I am picking Michigan to win. Go Blue! You think as a Michigan fan, I'd ever pick Ohio State? Never. Even if I know my team, especially in football, is not better than Ohio State, I will still pick them. 
I will never pick the traitor. Never pick the enemy. I won't. That's Ohio State. Go blue. And why, though? Why? This isn't just a heart pick. This is also a head pick. Michigan is the more efficient team. They just are. And they're better defensively. Uh, to me, maybe Ohio State's a little more flashier with you know E.J. Lindell and Athens and that group, C.J. Walker. But Michigan's just a more complete team. Uh, Hunter Dickinson, Isaiah Livers, uh, Franz Wagner, they're just more complete, more efficient, better defensively. Yes, both teams have been playing really well lately. Michigan only has one loss on the whole year. Ohio State's won seven straight. But I am repping Michigan, wearing my Go Blue hoodie on Sunday. Michigan is winning. I don't care if it is a blowout or if it's a close game. Michigan's winning. And it's going to be sweet. It's sweet victory. Now, next, NHL. Last night, my Pittsburgh Penguins rebounded. After a tough loss to the Washington Capitals a few days earlier, and they beat the New York Islanders, they were the better team offensively, uh, more shots, more face-off wins, controlling the offensive zone, and they were better defensively. Latang looked good, Matheson looked really good, uh, their goaltending was their best goaltending performance of the season by Jari, uh, it was just a complete win, and their best win of the season. It was. And I'm happy. I'm happy to be a Penguins fan and I'm happy to see it. I'm happy to see Gino get feisty and this team get feisty and respond well. And when the Islanders get a goal, 3-1, make it 3-1, guess what? Brian Russ scores right back a minute later. That's what I want to see. This was a great Pittsburgh Penguins win. Rangers won in a shootout last night. And guess what? Panarin is just brilliant in shootouts. Panarin in a shootout is must-watch TV. He just is. Him slowing down, finding the right angle to shoot a puck in the net. That is so good. It's amazing to watch. Now, Toronto has been great all year. Best team in the league. Montreal, like, right behind them. Uh, It's a huge surprise in the North Division. But to me... At least Toronto was expected. But to me, the bigger surprise is who would have thought that the best team in the Central Division would be tied at 22 points right now, the Florida Panthers and the Chicago Blackhawks. Who would have thought? Who would have? The Panthers and the Blackhawks over teams like the Lightning and the Hurricanes, the Stars. Who would have thought? Not me. I didn't think that. Definitely not me. Uh, so to me, that's the most surprising. I'm definitely more sold on the Panthers being better than the Blackhawks. Uh, Blackhawks have won a lot of close games. Their goaltending's not as strong. Keith has looked good. Uh, he's like almost 40 years old, and he's playing like he's 20 years old. Kane is having a great season. Uh, my brother being a Blackhawks fan, you know, I have to say that. Uh, but to me, Florida's a better team. Chicago's games have been closer, more shakier net, where Florida's just been a complete team with uh, Huberdeau and Barkov leading them. 
That's great. But to me, uh, especially if Chicago playing you know more games than everybody else, to me they should have a bigger lead, or actually have the lead in the division, and they don't. So we'll see about that. Now more NHL picks. Oh, I can't pick the Red Wings anymore. My mom's a huge Red Wings fan. I'm sorry, Mom, but I can't pick the Red Wings. Uh, constant disappointment. Uh, it's just sad. Yeah, at least you're not the worst team in the league, Red Wings, but I just can't pick you, especially over the Panthers this weekend. I can't come to that. And until you guys seriously change that around, I don't know if I can ever pick you again in the whole rest of the season and, and feel confident about it. Then tonight, I have Oilers over the Flames. Uh, Connor McDavid just got his 500th point. Uh, he's amazing. He's played well all season. Looks like he'll win the Art Ross Trophy. Uh, maybe the Hart Trophy as well. He is brilliant. Do I hate to say it? Comparisons to Crosby. Not going to go there. I'm actually going to save that for another day. But he's good. And then, NHL fans out there, you have the Lake Tahoe series this weekend. The Golden Knights versus the Avalanche is the first game. Vegas versus Colorado. Guess what? I'm rolling with the Knights. The Knights don't do me wrong. They don't. Marc-Andre Fleury has looked amazing in that. Mark Stone has looked good. Max Pacioretty is a goal scorer. Uh, this team has looked better. Colorado's dealing with some injuries. You know, Kale McCarr uh, has been, you know, day-to-day, not feeling well, hampered by injury. I got to go with Vegas. They are the better team. I know this is a home game for Colorado. Technically, it's not at home in stadium, but I'm, ro- I'm rolling with Vegas. I like it. Next, the day after. Flyers versus Bruins, right there again. I'm rolling with the Flyers. Yes, do I need the Flyers to win as a Penguins fan for Boston not to get a crazy division lead? Yes, I do. Yes, Flyers are beat up with a ton of players on injured reserve. But I like them, especially in an outside game. Uh, they always play outside games. Tough stadium series. I remember one against the Penguins. Uh, very good team outside. I think they're more used to it than the Bruins. They're more comfortable on that stage. And I like the Flyers just winning this game. I do. I mean, it's definitely, you know, the rooting interest is not great there for me. But I have to roll with the Flyers in this one. I do. I hope they pull it out and win. Now, moving on to tennis. Australian Open. Tomorrow morning, early in the morning, at least for me here in Arizona, Naomi Osaka faces Jennifer Brady. Naomi Osaka beat Serena Williams the other night, last night, in a hard, or yeah, two nights ago, in a hard-to-watch match. Uh, Serena Williams took the early uh, 2-0 game lead. Looked great, and Naomi just broke her after that, winning 6-3, then winning 6-4 after in straight sets. Uh, 
playing flawless tennis after being down early. Now you have people paying attention to Naomi Osaka. Now you have people saying on SportsCenter, oh, she's in now, she's great now, and oh, she's she's not the next season now. I've known about that for like two years now. And come on, people. Naomi Osaka's been great. Maybe you just don't you don't watch tennis or you choose not to see it. To me, Serena Williams is the GOAT, the easy GOAT. But Naomi Osaka has played great tennis. Uh, I think she'll beat Jennifer Brady. Uh, and it was a sad sight to see Serena walk off the court. Uh, her press conference, leaving in tears. Uh, greatest, you know, female tennis player of all time. One of the greatest athletes of all time. Greatest people of all time. Serena Williams. I hope her to be back in future tournaments. Uh, this year, and at least win another one to tie Margaret Court. I know that's not her main motivation for why she goes out there, but I want her to win. Then, on the men's side, you have Novak Djokovic playing or facing uh, Medvedev in the final on Sunday morning, early Sunday. Uh, I think Novak will win. Uh, He's the best that's played on the Australian court, Rod Laver Arena. But I would not be surprised if Medvedev won. He has been playing really great recently, uh, this whole tournament. Uh, I wouldn't mind. I mean, I'm rooting for Medvedev. I want an upset. I do. But I I think a lot of people will be surprised if Djokovic loses to Medvedev. Uh I would not be as surprised because Medvedev has been playing well, not just in this tournament, but a lot of other recent tournaments as well. So I expect it to at least be close, and I even think a five-set thriller is what it'll be. Again, that's like one thirty in the morning, Sunday, my time. So if it is a thriller, maybe I'll catch the fifth and final set. Hopefully I do. Now, moving off from sports until my final get-your-goat take. Quick market news. Stock news. Stonks. The market was up today. Uh, the little Vicinex, Vicinex was a big new mover. Uh, vaccine type thing. Uh, big up. And then, you know, came back down. But to me, this was kind of the most normal day in the market all week. Market was up. Uh, things were green. Things were red. It was kind of just a normal day in the stock market beast. That's all it was. Now time to get on to show movie reviews. The first movie review, A Promising Woman, starring Carrie Mulligan. I love this movie. Starring Carrie Mulligan and directed by Emerald Fennell. Hopefully I get her right, name right. But Carrie Mulligan is Cassie. Cassandra Thomas was brilliant in this movie. You know, beforehand I said, you know, uh, Vanessa Kirby, great, and Pieces of a Woman, Viola Davis, and uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, great performances. But to me, what I saw from Carrie Mulligan and a promising young woman was Actress of the Year quality right there to me. That movie just hit a stride with me. And it was so good. Uh, her performance, the screenwriting, the directing, 
uh, everything. It was original idea, the music in it, everything just played out well, the acts. It was great. Now to kind of get into spoiler territory here, you know, a girl where Cassandra Thomas, her best friend, gets raped and commits suicide and both nursing students and she leaves and she goes to the club and, you know, people try to like take advantage of her. They think she's drunk, but she's not. And she tells them, hey, you know, what are you doing? And it is just great. It's riveting. There's humor. It's dark. It takes twists and turns, you know. Then at the end, she dies a shocking death murder by the person who then raped her best friend. And, but guess what? She got her revenge. She talked to the people, talked to the cops, had the scheduled messages. The whole thing at the end sequence was insane. Wasn't what I was expecting, but was great. Carrie Mulligan deserves the Golden Globe, uh, the Oscar, the SAG, the whole deal this year. That movie does. Original great idea. I, that movie was just amazing. You know, I watched it Monday with my mom, and I watched it again Wednesday because it was so good. That movie, oh, I oh, I just can't put into words how great that movie was. Then today, I watched Judas and the Black Messiah, Daniel Kaluuya up for supporting actor. I think this movie's up for, you know, outstanding cast and a set for the SAGs, but Daniel Kaluuya was great. Just Fred Hampton as the, uh, you know, biography, you guess, of Fred Hampton of the Black Panther Party, and then Lakeith Stanfield as Bill O'Neill in the movie was great. Uh, you know, title kind of gives it up. You know, Judas and the Black Messiah uh, played along as if it was his friend the whole time. Wasn't, and, you know, kind of led him to his death. Both performances, though, were great. Uh, Daniel Kaluuya was great in a supporting role, but to me kind of also had like a main role. It was like a dual main role. But Lakeith Stanfield's Bill O'Neill was outstanding as well. The performances was great. Uh, it was riveting. It kept me on the edge of my seat. Uh, the directing was great. The whole cast was great. Uh, the portrayal of this uh, was great. Didn't know much about it coming in, but it was just uh, sad to watch. Uh, the hatred toward this man and the brutal killing of him at the end, but to me, this movie was phenomenal. One of the best films of the year. It was so good. Now, next, Wanda Vision, episode seven, breaking the fourth wall, looking like the office up in here. It was great. Questions answered. Uh, Monica Rampo is now Photon or Spectrum, whatever you want to say. Agnes, Ag Agnes is now Ar Agatha, the witch. Uh, looks like she stole some Doctor Strange type book, maybe nightmare potential thing. Twins are gone. You know, one could have been the rabbit, one could have been the fly. Some people think the fly is Mephisto. I mean, so many possibilities. It could be definitely talking about this more on Monday after I watch this episode again. But her world is done. It's not even her world. It was. Agatha's world. Uh, Vision knows what's going on now. Next two episodes are going to be 
and saying, Now, my get your goat take. Serena Williams is the best tennis player of all time, hands down. Uh, better than any men, any women, I've said for years. If she were to play Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Djokovic, all in their prime, she would win. Three game set, she would win. Uh, in her prime, she was the most dominant. Even in this tournament, she looked good. Uh, but, you know, she's at the tail end of her career at 30 years old. And the thing is, she's had competition, and she's destroyed them all. They've come and go. Uh, as I've said before, Maria Sharapova is gone. Caroline Wozniacki, uh, Azarenka. I mean, the only one that's really stayed right now is Osaka. Maybe people win one and leave, but they don't have sustained success. Uh, you can't see Roger Federer. Uh, to me, he's the best male tennis player. He's not the greatest tennis player uh, like Serena because guess what? Nadal has 20. He gets one more. He has the goat case over you because he has the one more. Uh, Djokovic is right there at 17. He wins. He gets 18 and is only two behind you. And he's like six, five, yeah, six years younger than you. So there's like a big three in tennis, uh, all vying for something. Whereas in women's, there is only one. And because there is only one, she is the greatest one in the whole sport. That's how it works. Uh, what she is doing off the court is something else greater. But she is the greatest tennis player of all time. Yes, they have the Rod Laver arenas, the Margaret Court arenas. Arthur Ashe, but when all said is done and she retires, there will be a Serena Williams court or a Serena Williams arena. That's what's fair. And I don't expect it to take a long time either. I don't expect it to be 20, 30 years down the line. I expect it to be, you know, maybe 5 to 10 after she retires. Uh, she deserves an arena. She was dominant in all courts, probably, more, you know, Australian Open, Australian Open, dominant Wimbledon, U.S. Open. Probably the least was French, but she's just a dominant tennis player. Uh, the week she spent as number one in her prime, Serena Williams is the goat in all of tennis. That is my get your goat take. This has been the Get Your Goat podcast. Everybody, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy all the sports. There will be a lot to watch. Bye, everybody.